a reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. The word of the Lord. Luke 5, 1-11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Almighty Father, as we come now to your word, uh, we ask you, we, we, first of all, we recognize your Holy Spirit's here. And we ask that your Holy Spirit will answer the prayer that we prayed at the very beginning, that you will cleanse the thoughts of our hearts, that you'll go in underneath our secrets, around the curtains of our hearts, into those places uh, that we might want to try to hide from you, And there, pour out your grace and your love and your mercy. And in other words, give us the reality that we're going to describe. Help us both to understand and to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. And uh, it would be useful if you would be willing to turn back to page 8, that uh, passage from Isaiah. Uh, that's where we're going to spend most of our time. Micah did not cut the short reading, or the reading short. I... I, uh, I just added, I had too many verses, um, so it's completely my fault, so thank you, Micah. Um, now, we are going to talk uh, this morning about um, one of the many strange things that Christians say. Christians, you know this, right? We say weird things. And, uh, and, and if you've been a Christian for a while, you might have forgotten that. But if you're new, you know that Christians say really weird things. We do weird things, too, but that's for a different time. Um, one of the weird things that we say... It's a phrase. It comes from the Bible. It's not entirely our fault. The fear of the Lord. Or we say, we should fear God. 
Now, if you've been around church for a while, you might be used to hearing that uh, phrase used, but it's really, if you think about it for just a minute, it's very odd. Because fear, like, I don't like being afraid. Do you, do you, I mean, there might be people here who like horror films, so I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I, I don't like being afraid. I like to run away. The Bible, however, says that the fear of the Lord is something you should want. Not only should you want it, it's super crucial. So here's why we're talking about this. We, last week we finished a series in the book of Proverbs. If you've been with us, you know that. In the book of Proverbs, it's all about getting wisdom, growing up. What we've said is we want to grow up before we grow old. And in the book of Proverbs, it says, if you want to gain wisdom, if you want to grow up before you grow old, the most important thing that you could possibly have is this, the fear of the Lord. Now, it strikes me then that we should take this really weird phrase, the fear of the Lord, and look at it for a little while and try to have some idea what in the world we're talking about and why it's important. All right? And we're going to do that by looking at the Isaiah passage. We're going to look a little bit at the uh, gospel reading and also the psalm. So stay awake. We're going to switch around. I want to show you three things. Three things. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, first of all, is fear. It's obvious. The fear of the Lord, secondly, is transformed fear. And the fear of the Lord, lastly, is fearless fear. Let me show you what I mean. Um, glance over to page 8 and this story from Isaiah. So uh, just so you know, we're in the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah is one of the most important uh, prophets in all of the Bible. So this is hundreds of years before Jesus. And in Isaiah 6, this uh, is where Isaiah describes the moment he met God. And it was a very dramatic uh, introduction. Isaiah has this vision. And in this vision, he sees God. Now, interestingly, he doesn't actually describe God himself, but he describes what's going on around God. And he says that God is seated on a throne like a king, a big king, and around God there's all these angels and they're saying all kinds of things. And now, what do you think Isaiah's reaction is going to be to God, seeing him? What would your reaction to God be? Take a look at the, at the text. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah sort of worked for the king, I, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim, which are angels. Skip to verse 3. And one angel called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, not King Uzziah, but rather the Lord of hosts. Now, keep in mind here, Isaiah is a God expert, right? Like he was a professional uh, 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 prophet. The top of his game probably worked within the king's courts. Knew the king, knew a bunch of kings. This guy knew what he was talking about. When he got up in front of people, he probably wears special weird clothes, you know? Um, like, you know, he thought he knew what he was doing. But here, in this moment, he sees God. 
and he is absolutely frightened. Why is he afraid? Look back at the text. There's two reasons, at least. First, he's frightened because he sees God. But then secondly, he's frightened because he sees himself. Look at it. First, he sees God. He sees God in, on the throne with all the stuff going on. And, and remember, Isaiah knew a lot about God. And I would imagine that at least conceptually, the majesty and the glory that he sees should not have been all that surprising to him. But nevertheless, when he actually sees it for himself, it's, one of the most, it's probably the most frightening experience of his life. Um, it is one thing to cognitively suspect that God exists. It is another thing to meet God face to face. And it seems to me that a lot of people, uh, even people who think they know a great deal about God, people who identify as being religious, very often we think of God a little bit like a fictional character. Uh, when I read a book and there's somebody scary in the book, it doesn't scare, them, scare me that much, unless it's dark, but uh, usually it doesn't scare me that much. And part of the reason reading a fictional uh, you know, character who's scary doesn't scare me that much is because generally speaking, they stay in the book, right? It's helpful. I can kind of trust that. That's why I keep turning the page. However, this is the moment when God stepped out of the book for Isaiah. And it frightened him to his core because all of his theory turned into a face. But then that leads to the second reason he was frightened. He was frightened because the moment that God stepped out of the book, so to speak, the moment that God became vividly real and not just theory to Isaiah, another thing happened in that same moment, and that was that Isaiah saw himself for the first time. What does that mean? He saw who he really is. He saw reality about himself. Now, um, we, all of us, I think, um, we spend a lot of time looking in the mirror. Don't you? Come on, you can admit it. And, and you know what? You do a great job. You look great. You look really, really good. Um, but when we look in the mirror, we, we try, we're marketing ourselves, right? We're trying to make sure that we don't look horrible. Um, now, imagine a mirror that didn't tell you what you look like on the outside. Imagine a mirror that told you what you look like on the inside. Imagine a mirror that opened up right in front of you all those things that you're really, really insecure about and said, yep, check it out. You should be. Or worse, a mirror that tells you, no, actually, the things you're insecure about, you actually, that's beside the point. What you really need to be worried about is this. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, dear. Now, that would be scary, right? That's what happens to Isaiah. He looks at God, and all of a sudden, in that moment, he sees himself for the first time. And what he realizes in that moment is that despite his professional religionism, and despite all of his good performing, he was secretly, and maybe he didn't even know this until this moment, he was secretly abusing God's gift, just like the nation around him that he was so good at critiquing. And he's frightened. Now, I can imagine somebody coming back to me and saying, well, Jim, this is why I don't like the Old Testament, right? I, that's scary, God. I like Jesus, nice God. Okay. Did you read the gospel reading? Because the exact same thing happens to Peter. 
This is the moment that Peter meets Jesus. And Peter, you remember, is a fisherman. And he's good at it. He's a professional. Maybe he wore special clothes for fishing. Probably not. Anyways, um, and, and, and he's fishing all day. Jesus is preaching. Jesus is good at preaching. Peter's good at fishing. And then Jesus says, hey, Peter, can you fish again? And Peter's like, Jesus, no. I, it's the wrong time of... Anyways, yes, fine. So he throws out his net just like Jesus asked. But what happens is what he doesn't expect. He, he, you, know, you know the story. He takes in a bunch of fish. But the thing is, that shows him who Jesus is. He realizes he's not just speaking with a rabbi. He's meeting somebody much more than that. But also, just like Isaiah, he see, when he sees Jesus and Jesus, so to speak, walks off the page, Isaiah sees him, I mean, Peter sees himself. And he does exactly the same thing. He says, leave me, Lord. I'm a sinner. I'm just like the nation around me. I'm not better. Now, we can't stop there, though. You meet God, it's going to be scary, because you're going to see God, and you're going to see yourself. But you can't stop there. Go back to Isaiah, because when, when Isaiah is just totally flat out on the ground, uh, afraid he's going to die, what does God do? Does God look at him and maniacally laugh and say, ha, 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 this is what I was hoping for. Isaiah, grovel, be afraid, be very afraid. Is that, is that what he does? Thankfully, no. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Friends, this is super important. In the Bible, whenever anybody meets God, they are always, every single time, afraid. But at the same time, when God sees them in his fear, he doesn't, he quickly comes and immediately offers them mercy. Don't be afraid, says Jesus in our text. Quick, angel, grab the coal, touch it to that man's lips. Isaiah looks at God and he expects judgment, but what he gets instead, surprisingly, is mercy. And the angel comes to Isaiah and he touches his lips, which apparently it seemed that Isaiah was most worried, most ashamed of his lips. And the coal, the burning coal, touches his worst shame, the thing he's most guilty about, and it burns away the guilt. And the angel says, you're pardoned. The fear of the Lord is fear, but this leads to the second point. The fear of the Lord is transformed fear. Now, Let's play this out just a little bit. And to do that, I want you to turn over to the psalm, which is on page 6. We're just going to look at it a little bit. David wrote the psalm. And in this psalm, in verse uh, 11, David asks God to give him the fear of the Lord. However, the fear of the Lord that David asks for in verse 11 is different from the fear of the Lord that Isaiah experiences. When Isaiah is afraid, at least at first, he sees God, and it's a fear that makes him run a one, run, want to run away. It's a repulsive fear. It's a, oh no, let me run. But that's not the case in, ver in chapter 86 of the Psalms. David is praying, and he's not afraid of judgment. David, in this psalm, is fixed and captivated by God's love and his mercy. 
And it's as David thinks about how good God is that he says, verse 11, unite my heart, O God, to fear your name implicitly more. Now this, I want to point out, is a different kind of the fear of the Lord. It's a transformed fear. Before we uh, come into a living relationship with God, when God is just a theory, and then when God walks off the page and stops being a theory, at first we're frightened because we're afraid of judgment, and we see ourselves as we are, and it's scary. But then God pardons us and reconciles us. And the moment that happens, the fear gets transformed so that instead of being a repulsive fear that makes us want to run away, it becomes an attracted fear. Attracted fear? What does that mean? Let me try to illustrate. This is the best I got. Years ago, Amber and I uh, spent a little bit of time in Malawi. And one night, we were in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the bush. And we were like, we were camping sort of, except there was a a ceiling, but, but the sides were just screened. And it was in the middle of nowhere. And I was sleeping very peacefully when all of a sudden I heard something. And it was, it was like, <laughs> kind of. And, and, and I jumped out of bed and I went and it was dark so I couldn't see very much, but I could see a tree, a big tree, not a little tree, a big tree. And all of a sudden I saw this tree, no wind, there was no wind go, and I realized, that's just how it sounded, by the way, I, I realized that there had to be something big, and then into the moonlight, a giant elephant, I don't know if it was giant, but it looked it, and then it walked right up to us, I'm not joking, and started eating the hedge, the shrubbery that was right in front of the screen behind which I was hiding. Now, I was scared to death because I was looking at this thing and I knew that it could end me with a thing of its trunk. And however, at the same time, I froze and I didn't run, partially because I was afraid it would trample me, but partially because I was captivated by its beauty at the same time. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. And here's the weird thing, the danger of the moment it didn't uh, reduce the beauty of the moment. It enhanced the beauty of the moment. The fact that I was two feet away, ask Amber, we were, two feet away from a wild elephant made it one of the most compelling scenes I have ever experienced in my life. And the thing is, it's not the first time nor the last that I've seen an elephant, but it's the only one I want to remember. I've seen them in the zoos. But that's not the story I want to tell you today, and that's not the story you want to hear from me. That just doesn't matter very much, and we all know it. There was something about the danger and the wildness and the untamedness that made the beauty enhanced and more compelling. Now, that's what happens when we're reconciled to God for real. When we receive God's mercy, all that frightened us and repelled us and made us want to run turns around and gets flipped upside down. So that instead of scaring us and frightening us, God's holiness and his majesty and his glory all combine to captivate our hearts and to draw us closer to him and to captivate our loyalties and just reorder all of our desires so that when we're looking at God, we end up forgetting about ourselves so that we are just utterly captivated by his beauty and his glory. That's why, Emmanuel, we de de exist. What to do? What are we here to do? Everybody say it together. You should know it. We are to see, 
just come on, see, describe, and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City. We're going to have to get better at that. But that's what David's praying for when he's praying for transformed prayer or fear. Fear of the Lord is fear. The fear of the Lord is transformed fear. Lastly, the fear of the Lord is fearless fear. What could that possibly mean? Thank you for asking. Look back at Isaiah. Isaiah sees God. He crumples in fear. The angel takes away his sin with the burning coal. And then verse 8 happens. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. So a few minutes before this, uh, Isaiah was like, was wetting himself in fear, utter terror. And then all of a sudden he's in class with his hand in the air yearning, call on me, Lord, call on me, send me. What do you need done? I don't even know what you need done, but send me. Ends up it was a hard job. What happened to Isaiah? Why is he so bold? After he was transformed, after the coal touches his lips, from that point onward, Isaiah hears the voice of God and he desires to obey and volunteers to obey without even deliberating about the costs. Not because he doesn't understand the costs, but they're just no longer his priority. Why? Here's the point. True fear of God makes you fearless and courageous to hear his voice and obey him in joy. That explains David's prayer in Psalm 86. He prays that God would give him an undivided heart, that he might fear God's name. And part of the first portion of the prayer is that God would teach him his way so that David would walk in his truth. The idea is that now David wants undivided loyalties, totally captivated with God, and so that he can be fearless in obeying him, whatever it takes. When you're reconciled to God, that's what happens. When you're captivated by who God is, then what'll happen is you will want to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ and listen to him and follow him, and you'll want to say, Jesus, where are you going? I want to go too. Give me more of your Holy Spirit and drive me forward. That's what happens to Peter. At the end of the gospel reading, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Transform fear. Fearless fear, come and follow me. Friends, this is crucial and very practical. Um, you know, when I, um, when I disobey God, which is often, it's often because I'm a coward. I'm afraid of people. I'm afraid of what they're going to say. I'm afraid of my own desires. I'm afraid of going without. I'm afraid of all kinds of things. I'm scared. Are you different? The best way to overcome fear is to fear something more scary. Um, you know what's scary? I found out when we were in Africa. You know what's scary? 
mosquitoes. They're scary because they're all around you. You can hardly see them, and they'll kill you, right? And so I found myself, you know, you take medicine every day if, if you're just visiting, and, and you're afraid of them. You know what? When I was looking at the elephant, you know what I wasn't thinking about? Mosquitoes did not even enter my mind. I was looking at something scarier and more beautiful, and I forgot my fears, my other fears. When you're filled and captivated with God, that's when you'll find yourself filled with courage. You'll be captivated by God's voice. You'll love hearing the voice of God. And then you'll look at the cost of what it is to follow him, and you'll look at it, and you'll, you'll look at it, and it just won't be as scary as it was before because you've been before the king. The same thing happens to Isaiah. He's no longer afraid of anything because he's captivated by God. The same thing happens to David. He's no longer afraid of anything because he's captivated by God. The same thing happens to Peter and all the apostles. They're no longer afraid. And all of them were cowards, but they were no longer afraid because they were captivated by Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus wants to do in you and in us. Fear God, and you need fear nothing else. And I say that as somebody who's scared to death of almost anything I can be. Don't you want to be free from fear? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be free? Fear of the Lord is freedom. And that's the freedom that Jesus wants to give. But here's the thing. What I could tell you to do is, everybody, you know what you need to do? You need to just fear God more. Come on, fear God. Go out and be a God-fearing person. And you might go out and you might try. And you know what would happen? You'd be insecure and scared of everything but God. Wouldn't work. Doesn't work. You know why? You can't try. It doesn't work. You, it, try, you can try it, but it won't work. Isaiah didn't try to fear the Lord. He had to receive it as a gift. Peter didn't try to fear Jesus. He had to receive it as a gift. David didn't try to fear the Lord. He had to receive it as a gift, which is why he's praying for it. The only way that we receive the fear of the Lord is when we receive it as a gift. And what will happen is the Holy Spirit will come into your life in greater measure. And then you will look up and you will see Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is when God walks off the page and stops being theory and becomes a face. Not a theory, but a face. And when you see Jesus Christ for real, closely and intimately, what will happen is you will see God as he is, and it'll be scary, and you'll see yourself as you are, and it'll be scary. But then you will hear the voice of Jesus say, come, sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded by the fall. I am ready. Come to me. And then you will see Jesus Christ upon the cross. You've got to see Jesus on the cross. We're heading into Holy Week, not quite yet, but nearly. And the whole point of Holy Week is you are going to watch God himself become a burning coal for you. That's what Holy Week is. When God himself becomes the burning coal, when Jesus Christ hangs up upon the cross, he is on the altar being sacrificed becoming a burning coal who when he touches you, he will touch you in your worst shame and he will burn away your worst shame and he will burn away your guilt. This is the testimony of everyone who is alive in Jesus Christ. I, and if you know Christ, you know this is true, don't you? Don't forget it. And if you don't know Jesus, this is the way in. And if you do know Jesus, this is the way you're renewed. 
Look at Jesus Christ. He will be the burning coal which will touch your lips and then he will speak to you and he will say, do not be afraid for all your guilt is pardoned. And then you'll look at him again full of the Holy Spirit and you will say, you are my Lord and I love you and I am compelled by you. Unite my heart to fear your name and in that day you will find yourself courageous and fearless and wise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how can we speak of things like this? Please don't let us just speak of things like this. We want to taste and see that you are good. We want to taste that burning coal. And some of us here this morning, that it just sounds like nonsense, but yet there's a desire for something. So will you, by your spirit, even right now, go into the heart and let us see Jesus like Peter saw him. And let us see ourselves like Isaiah saw himself. And will you do whatever it takes? Intervene and disrupt. Do whatever it takes that we may see you as you are. And that we may say yes. And that we may feel a burning coal touch our lips in our worst and our deepest guilt and secret shame. Will you go there? And will you transform our deepest fears and deepest shame into our highest joy and set us free. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.